Hallelujah. If you're a child of God, you can sit down. Hallelujah. If you're not, stay standing and we'll pray for you. Yes. God is good. Well, the DeFords are here. They have a table back in the lobby. Let me just say, we're not taking an offering as such for them. Next Sunday is our missionary offering. But if you want to give them a Pentecostal handshake on the way out, watching by their table, that would be great. You know what that is, right? You hide money in your hand, and as you reach out to shake their hand, you change that money to them, and they're blessed as they go on their way. They're leaving on Tuesday uh, to go back to Melbourne, so pray for them. Thank God for them. I've been asked to share today because Pastor Daniel, his wife and family are over visiting DJ as he's in uh, the program over there with Youth of the Mission. We're glad for that. So turn with me to Acts chapter number two, and we're going to continue on with our series of looking to what God has for us in this book. It's an amazing book. Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Daniel mentioned the three things that happened on the day of Pentecost. One of them was the sound of the mighty rushing wind from heaven, and the second thing was the flames of fire that were on each one of their heads. And then, of course, the various tongues that they had to speak. Uh, Fifteen different countries heard their own language in, the, in their uh, expressions of God's grace. And those things can't be planned for. The day of Pentecost is something that God did from the inside out type of thing. He's the, he's the one that came upon them. The disciples were amazed themselves. They were shocked besides the other people that were there. And so uh, t today I'd like to give you an illustration to start with. And remember this as we go through. And then I'll finish up with reminding you of the illustration. I don't know how many of you had a uh, water hand pump outside of your home. Anybody have a hand pump outside of your home? Probably none of us do here. My grandmother, grandfather, had a, uh, a place down in Oklahoma City, and we would go visit them. They had no running water on the inside of the house. They had what was called an outhouse, and you know what happens there. But they had this pump as well. And so in order to get water, they would actually send me out, and uh, I would grab the pump, and it little a little hard. You had to prime it with some water that was in a can next to the pump, and uh, then start pumping, and then when you finished filling up your bucket, you again filled up the little can because that's how you get water the next time. Uh, and so if you're unfamiliar with this, let me tell you this is a great experience. You ought to find a pump somewhere and go pump some. Well, there was a man walking along a field one day, and he sees over near a house a man standing pumping, and he didn't stop. I mean, as he walked along, the man just kept pumping, kept pumping, kept pumping. And he said, this is really weird. You, you fill up your bucket, you stop. And so he was curious enough to walk across the field. And finally, when he got close enough, it wasn't a man like this one, but it was a wooden man. And he had an elbow that was free enough to go up and down. And his hand was actually tied to the pump. And it was an artesian well meaning that you didn't need to pump the water, the water came out by itself. And so instead of the man pumping the water, the water was pumping the man. Got that? Okay, sometimes when we come to Christianity, we think that we have to do so many things to be spiritual. We have to do this and we have to do that and we have to do the other. Let me tell you, Christianity is God coming on the inside filling us up like that artesian well, and then bringing truth, bringing righteousness, bringing peace and joy and love and contentment, guidance, and all of these things to our lives. 
And so that's the illustration I want to start with. It's what God does in us that produces his life and his direction for us. And so uh, let me start here with a couple questions in Acts chapter number 2 where Pastor Daniel was last week over in verse number 8. They're listening to all of these different tongues being said, 15 different languages. And it says, how is it that we hear each one of them in our own language to which we were born? How is it that this has happened? And then the second question over in verse 12 says, what does this mean? We don't understand this. And so, of course, Peter stood up with the 11. And notice a difference here. Pastor Daniel mentioned how that he was different in chapter 1 than he is in chapter number 2. Chapter number 1, verse 15 says, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, and he gave direction as best as he could. But he was kind of going, a, I think, a little bit faster than God wanted him to. God says, go back and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Well, Peter, if you know him, he didn't wait very patiently. He got ahead of himself, so he wanted to somehow take care of the place that Judas had and fill that in. And so they voted on this guy, Matthias, and he became one of the 12, I guess. But we never hear of him again. Probably God had in mind the Apostle Paul. We just need to wait. God has a plan. God has a man who came along and wrote a third of the New Testament more than any of the other disciples. I think he might have been the man that was going to replace Judas if there was a replacement. Anyway, we go on here to chapter number two and mighty things are happening here. Peter starts preaching to them, answering these questions, and uh, he takes his stand with 11. These men are not drunk, he says, but this is what's spoken by the prophet Joel. And so he starts in with Joel's prophecy there in verse number 17, and he talks about God pouring out his spirit. Now, Joel was also a prophet that talked about destruction and doom. And so if you go down to verse number <clears throat> 19 and 20, it says, I will grant wonders in the, in the sky above and, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. That's judgment. And if you go back and read Joel, he's talking about judgment coming to Israel. But he says, you can repent. You can, you can turn to God. And he says, rend your heart, not your garments. They were used to, oh, let me just rip up my clothes and show how, you know, repenting I am. He said, no, it's not, it's not your clothes that you need to rent. It's your heart. It's what's going on on the inside of your life. That's what needs to change. And that's why the artesian well is so very important to understand. It's not we're trying to pump spiritual things up in our lives. What we're trying to do is surrender to him and let him fill us with himself and with his Holy Spirit so that peace and joy and righteousness that comes from him comes forth. And so that's what he's talking about here. And then he finishes with Joel here in verse number 21 and says, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Just calling upon him. You don't have to do anything. He did it for you. In fact, the more you try to do to please God, the less pleased he is with you. Selah, let that sink in. Because sometimes we as Christians think, man, if I do this, if I do that, if I do the other. No, just relax. Let God be God inside of you. Open up your heart to him and let him put that artesian well within you and spring forth into eternal life. That's what he's going to talk about 
Verses 22, 23, and 24, uh, Peter begins to preach the exclamation as to uh, explanation of what he's saying. And so there in uh, verse number 22, it says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene. Let me just stop there and say, if he would have said Jesus the Christ, maybe people would have turned away. But he says, you know that man, that man from Nazarene? He did miracles, he did wonders, he did all kinds of signs. And you know that, that's what it goes on and says there. <clears throat> this man, in verse 23, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. God already had it in mind what he was going to do. He needed the Romans, he needed the Jewish people to complain. And so he goes on and says, you're the ones that nailed him to the cross. Well, were the Jews the one who really nailed him? No, the Romans did that. And people go back and forth, who really killed Jesus? You and I killed Jesus. Our sin was laid upon him. And so he says, you nailed him to the cross. You said crucify him. And when we sin against God, we're actually participating with the rest of the world that laid our sin upon Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The Word of God tells us before the world was created, Christ was crucified. God had a plan. He had already predetermined how he was going to redeem us. And he sent Jesus in the fullness of time to come and take our sin upon himself. That's what he's saying here. And then finally, verse 24, it says, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Let me tell you, as a Christian, we don't look away from death. In fact, we embrace death. Paul the Apostle is a wonderful one. He says, I wish that I could die now and just go be with the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Sometimes I know people feel like that. We'd like to just get out of this world and get out of our trouble. But God has his time and his place for each one of us. But death, I know we sometimes suffer in death. We, we get sick. We go through all, car accidents, all kinds of things. But in the midst of that all, Jesus is still Lord. He's still working within our life, showing his presence and power. And sometimes it isn't just through the blessings that other people find out how God is working in our lives, but sometimes through the suffering, the difficulties, sometimes through things that we don't ever want to face, but because Jesus is Lord of our lives, we face it completely different than anyone else in the world. And they say, how do these people do what they're doing? There's an artesian well <laughs> on the inside, and it brings life for whatever circumstance you're going through. It's amazing what God has done in our lives. And so he explains what's going on there, which takes us to the next place, which is David's prophecy. And here in Psalm number 16, over in the next page, at least for my Bible, it says, David said to him in verse 25, I saw the Lord always in my presence, and he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Verse 27, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay, you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter starts to explain that, and he says, David wasn't talking about himself. That's obvious to all of us, because David died. David was buried, and we can go look at his tomb today. 
He isn't the one that was being talked about. But he was looking ahead to the Christ coming. He was saying the, to, to, to them that Christ has come, and he's come through the lineage of David. And so he points this out to the people. It says in verse 32, This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured forth that which you both see and hear. He goes on and says, it wasn't David who ascended into heaven, but he himself. And then he quotes here a verse from Matthew chapter 22. And going back uh, even before that to Psalm 110 verse 1, it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I think they, uh, Peter remembered this because he was with Jesus one day with the other disciples. Go back to Matthew chapter number 22 and you'll find some scripture there. Jesus is silencing, first of all, the Sadducees. They came to Jesus with this wild story that here's seven different guys. They all married the same woman and they all died. Then they said to Jesus, whose wife is this going to be in the resurrection? And Jesus says, you, you don't know anything. You are ignorant of the law. <laughs> he says, God is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he went on. He's the God of the living. The Sadducees were very sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. I love that. Gave him a perfect name. He silenced the Sadducees. Then comes the Pharisees. And they have a question. Well, if the Sadducees can't get him, maybe we can. And so they ask a question. What about the greatest uh, commandment? What's the greatest commandment? So Jesus gives them, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, then Jesus asked them a question. The question is this. <clears throat> he says there uh, in Matthew uh, 22, verses 44, 43. 42 and 45, Jesus said to them, how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? They all looked at him and said, we don't know. But before when he asked, who is this talking about? He said, well, the son of David, obviously. Well, how could the son of David be called the Lord of David? It says in the next verse, no one dared ask him any other questions. He silenced everybody. And I think that's what Peter is saying here. He says, Jesus came to be a reality to us. He came to reveal himself and to reveal God and take our sin upon himself, take the judgment upon himself. And in verse 36, it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And then he says, This Jesus whom you have crucified. He gets away from Jesus the Nazarene and pulls all the way up to he's now Lord and Christ. What he's saying there is that he has all authority in heaven and in earth. That's who the Lord does. And then he's the Messiah. He is the Christ. When he got to this part in his sermon, he stopped, but the people responded. Their response is in the next verse. 
Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what should we do? Again, I'm caught by that thing, brethren. They didn't just say, hey, Peter, you know, you explain this, but what does that mean? He said, brethren. They were standing together. There's more unification after the day of Pentecost than ever before. There's a transformation taking place on the day of Pentecost that sealed and brought together the church of Jesus Christ. And I think it's the same way today that when he brings us into the family of God, we are brothers and sisters and we stand together, we share life together, we make each other as important one to another. That's what it says there in the, in the Gospels. That's what it says in even uh, John's writing. He says, as Christ laid down his life for us, we ought also to lay down our lives one for another. Doesn't that sound exciting? Anybody want to sign up today? He calls us to lay down our lives for one another. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit does on the day of Pentecost. It brings a change in our lives. We're no longer trying to pump it and get the things right in our life. We're saying, God, take over my life. When people are baptized, they're saying, I've died to myself. I come alive to God. And that's what he goes on and says here. Peter says in verse 38, 39, Peter said to them, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that which is going on today is for everybody and that's what he goes on and says in verse 39 for the promise is for you and for your children for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call to himself I don't know about you but when you call upon the name of the Lord the promise is he'll answer you and he'll meet you but sometimes God calls upon us. When you come into a service like this and we have worship like we had this morning and, and as the word is proclaimed, I believe the Holy Spirit is moving among the congregation and speaking to us each individually. And sometimes we're pierced to the heart. We hear things from God. We know that he's talking to us about certain things and we need to repent. We need to take that step of baptism. Surrender my life unto him. Last Sunday, we had seven people that were baptized up here and amazing things happened in their life. They were so excited. I don't know if you're here in the first service. Those are the two that I baptized and they couldn't wait to get in the water. It, it, they knew what they were doing. I hope they still know today <laughs> because once you're baptized, you say it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives within me and the things that he did. Now, I, I choose to do. I, I, I want to go ahead and do, and that's why he puts that artesian well within us to bring forth life out of the midst of us. He goes on and says in verse 40, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. I identify with being saved from this perverse generation. Was it difficult for them in Israel? They were under Roman rule. I don't know if you know what Roman rule was, but they could just decide any day that they could put you on a cross and crucify you. They would also tax you more than what we're being taxed in America. By the way, you heard our taxes are going up. Are you ready? Isn't that exciting? 
we as Christians know that God's going to provide whatever we need. And we live in a perverse generation, but we don't live as just citizens of the United States of America. We live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we have a whole different perspective of life than what just being American gives us. Hallelujah goes much beyond that. We're sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we're going to walk with him, talk with him, and he's going to take care of us. No matter what we're going through, he's going to be there for us. I read sometimes about people that suffer difficulties in their life, especially the martyrs, going back to when they put people, just because they profess Jesus Christ as their Savior, on crosses and then set fires to burn them to death. Oh, my goodness. When I first got saved, I said, I, I never want that to happen to me. I don't know if I could do that. Do you know what those people did? They sang songs of worship like we've been singing today. They weren't crying out in misery. They were saying, I'm ready to go into the kingdom of heaven. Christians can only do that because he's brought a new life within us that looks forward to the next life. And he's taken away the pain and the agony of death because he rose from the dead and the Bible says that absent from the body means we're going to be present with the Lord. Yeah. Hallelujah. How many want to go? Are you ready now? <laughs> or you want to stay around a while longer? Well, as we allow that artesian well to come within us, things do change in our lives. Let me give you some scriptures that I found that fit in with this whole idea of the artesian well working within our lives. Go back to Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 3. It says, therefore, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and currents of water on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your offspring. That's what he promised to do. He says, I'm going to pour out water upon you. It's what he decides to do for us. Another one in Isaiah 58, 11 says, The Lord will always guide you. He will satisfy you in the sun-scorched land and strengthen your frame. You will be like a watered garden. Hallelujah. Like a spring whose waters never fail. A spring whose waters never fail. Talking to the woman at the well, you know that story. He comes to the woman. She's by herself. He's by himself. And he says, Would you give me a drink? And she says, wait a minute, you are a Jewish person, I'm not, I'm from Samaria, you shouldn't even be talking to me. And he turns and he says, you know, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. <laughs> Look at the scripture there in verse 14. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well springing up into everlasting life hallelujah there's an artesian well that he promises this woman had, had five husbands the one she's living with isn't her own she had a few difficulties in life just a few and when she heard the things that jesus said give me that water i want that 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 sounds wonderful they went on a little bit further in the conversation then she ran off into town and became a witness for jesus she told everybody, come and see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. And she's talking to a group of people that knew most of what she had done. And he said, 
what must this be? He said, it must be the Messiah. It must be the Christ. The whole town came out to meet Jesus because of this woman. You know what? If we would just speak up the things that God is working in our life, people would be affected by it. The whole town came out, talked to Jesus, and went up to the woman and said, by the way, thanks for inviting us. <laughs> you know, if you invite people to come to church, they'll come with you. 78% of the people that you invite will come with you. I was in a dentist chair this last Friday having my teeth cleaned, and I don't know if I'd ever seen that woman before, but she's cleaning my teeth. She's about halfway through. She probably led, read my card and saw a reverend or something on it, and uh, she said, would you pray with me? I said, wow. She said, I lost my mother last week. I'm just having a hard time going through this, missing her. Would you pray with me? I said, sure, I'll be glad to. I'll pray right now. She took her gloves off, put all of her utensils down, pushed it away, and turned and went like this. God is, God wants to talk to people. We just have to be aware that he wants to use us to bless other people. If you invite people to come, they will come with you. They'll experience what, how many people were invited to come to church before you knew Christ? Let me see your hands. Okay, look at the hands around the room. I was one of those. I was invited to church. Went to church and my life turned around because I met Jesus there. He comes to us. He calls our name. As we call to him, he answers us. An amazing thing. One more verse as I close here this morning. And it's found over in John chapter number 7. It took place at the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. There at the feast, it was seven days long. And at the end of, the, of those seven days, they had read the scripture. They understood what God wanted to do. And so the high priest would come out with a basin of water and go over to a place that is dry ground and would take the basin of water and pour all of the water out on the dry ground. Nothing would happen, but water would splash and go everywhere. It was at this point that Jesus stands up. And in John chapter 7, verse 37, now on the last day, the great day of the Feast of Booths, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Hallelujah. That's the Christian experience. When you give your life to Jesus, you took and put your faith in him, he puts within you an artesian well. He gives you the Holy Spirit that begins to describe to you all that Jesus has accomplished for you. Read it in John 14. It's an amazing scripture. When the Spirit comes, he's going to come and reveal to you all that Christ has accomplished for you. How many promises do you think there are in the Bible? I've read that there's 33,000. Question, how many have you taken advantage of? Three, four, ten? 33,000? God wants to put an artesian well within you by his Holy Spirit, and he wants to bring peace and joy and contentment and direction and love and ability to reach out to other people that really may surprise you 
because that's what he does by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He changes us from the inside out. That's God's word. If you haven't been changed from the inside out, get ready because as you call upon him, that's what he's going to do. That's how he'll prove himself to you. That's how you'll know him. We're going to sing a song and then we're going to come to communion today. If you haven't received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says call out upon him and he'll hear you and answer you. He'll save you from your sin. That's why he came. That's why he was predestined to come and be sacrificed for us. Stand together as we sing this song. Look to him. Whatever you need, call out to him. And if you have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying today because Jesus may be calling your name to reveal something special to you.